0: my friends. pray that God's peace and His wholeness and His completeness is just overwhelming you this morning and that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is for you, that He is enough. Today we begin a, what I've called a marathon study in a subject that I first brought over 10 years ago to a local congregation because I was so convinced that the culture that we are living in uh, here in America and in other parts of the world where you may be listening, we are living here in the 21st century in modern-day Babylon. That may seem ridiculous to you. It may seem so mysterious and questionable to you, but I pray that as we study together, from the life of Daniel and his associates, that we will be equipped to believe God, to follow Him, and to conduct ourselves accordingly as we live, even in Babylon. Pray with me. Father God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, creator and sustainer of the universe, my Lord and my Master. I lay before You the study of Your Holy Word, of Your servant Daniel, so many centuries and millennia ago. And yet Your truth is timeless. And the principles of life, as You have ordained them and set them in motion, endure for all time and all generations and all cultures. So as we begin this study, Father, guide us. Help me to be concise, to be clear. And I just pray, Lord Holy Spirit, That that the people that listen to this broadcast and to the podcast on so many platforms, that uh, they will be encouraged and challenged to strip away the trapping of this earthly and temporal life so that we might be found eternally and gloriously in You. These things we ask with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I posted a link yesterday in my, my broadcast preview of the study notes, and I do pray that you would avail yourself of those. Whatever country and culture you find yourself in, that you would, that you would lay your hands on a copy of God's Holy Word, the Bible, in the language and translation that makes the most sense to your heart. And open it to the first chapter of Daniel's prophecy. Now, we have been taught recently, uh, especially recently, that uh, the book of Daniel was not even considered prophecy by the Jews Uh, in ancient times. It was one of the holy writings. But we we see how prophetic prophetic that Daniel's words are. Yeah, words and are to us today in in so many aspects of the coming kingdom and we see in the narrative of his life in the life of his associates, his believing in in faithful associates, we see patterns for us to be encouraged by and challenged by and to live according to his word. What is Babylon? Is that not an ancient concept and construct? Well Actually, there was a physical Babylon. We know that uh, it was long ago told about in the in the Bible. The Babylon, the city, was established by a man named Nimrod, a mighty hunter. Read back that about that in the opening chapters of Genesis. We also know that Babylon is a biblical metaphor. It's more than just a city. And if you want to know where geographically that is, then you can go to Iraq. Uh, actually to the city of of Mosul and you you can see that in Mosul and in uh, uh, its surrounds are the ancient sites of Nineveh of Jonah fame and of Babylon and actually the the capital of Iraq uh, Saddam Hussein was boasting that he was going to rebuild Babylon the city and the Hanging Gardens and all that near that capital city. Of course, we know that that was not done. But regardless of the ge- geographical references and the historical references, we know that is a metaphorically is a biblical truth. And it's a metaphor for the world system of godless government, of godless business, of godless thought, humanistic thought, and humanistic and selfish behavior. In prophecy, the Babylonian world system that we see very much at play today, and the adherence of the Babylonian world system are indeed condemned. Now you can skip over to the book of Revelation. And see that in chapters 14 and 16 and 17 and 18. You see that Babylon the Great has fallen. And the fall thereof was great and celebrated by God's people. Well, until Jesus comes back, and He most certainly will come back, my friends, we can live, in fact, we must live, in 21st century Babylon of the world around it. That is so tragic. Uh, we can read about that in John's Gospel as Jesus talked about the, the last days in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said that he is not going to ask, the, he did not ask the Lord, God his Father, to remove us from the world, but rather that he strengthen us to live as witnesses and as, as irrefutable testimony of his reality in this world. Well, we can ask as I'm sure Daniel and his faithful friends did, unless they were paying attention, and they were young men, uh, perhaps even teenagers, and we know how much teenagers pay attention, don't we? Well, we won't get off onto that. I have several of them in my grand, grand family. How in the world did we get here? I can imagine after they landed in Babylon, after being cruelly. Harshly transported and abused on the way from Jerusalem to, to the city of Babylon. They were looking at each other and said, how did we get here? Well, pretty clear the warnings given by God's prophets to return to uh, being faithful followers of God and obedient followers uh, to, to meeting out justice and righteousness in the world that they lived in, we can see that that was most certainly rejected in favor of, let's just have a party. If there's an idol that can help us have a good time and maybe even meet some of our needs, let's worship that idol. Well, my friends, we know where that'll get you, don't you? And it's where they they got them. I must say, in, in all of my previous broadcasts that I've been talking about this over and over again. Perhaps you're weary of it. But I'm going to continue to talk about it because this is God's warning to us here in the 21st century that cl- carried the name of Jesus. That we must return to God. What did He say in Second Chronicles 7.14? That if My people, if you find the land in famine, and earthquakes and and fires and floods and all the things that we see going on in our world today, wars, rumors of wars. Oh, my friends, what shall we do if we find ourselves in these circumstances? Well, he said, do this. Humble yourselves. If you are my people, you humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. We look at the television or the news media, the internet, and we say, oh, this is so evil. Well, in the first place, we can just turn that stuff off. I know I'm broadcasting over the internet right now, and I thank God for that. But the fact is, we can turn it off. He's not telling them to turn from wickedness. He's telling us to turn from our wickedness, turn from our wicked ways, and pray and seek His face so that He will hear From heaven, forgive us of our sin and heal our land. Oh, my friend, I know I have people in Western Europe and Eastern Europe and Africa and Central America all over the world watching and listening. And oh, my friends, we must humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, repent of our evil and turn back to God. Well, Daniel was born in the reign of Josiah, king of Israel, who was a good king he he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't perfect, no earthly king is. God told him about that. He says, "You're never going to get a king that is as good a king as I am, but still the people say, oh no no, give us a give us a, a material leader Daniel may have even heard the prophet Jeremiah as he warned Israel, as he warned Judah to turn from their wicked ways, to abandon the false prophets and the false idols, to abandon the injustice to the poor and the compromised. Sounds a whole lot like us today, doesn't it? Although Josiah, the king of Israel, was faithful in following God's word, and his commands, Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the seven two tribes and those that had abandoned the godless ten tribes and, and migrated into Judah's protection. They had become so corrupt that God swore in Second Kings chapter 23, you can read that for yourselves, to destroy even Jerusalem, his holy city. And to be sure, Josiah the king was killed in battle against the Egyptian invaders. Uh, We can read that that was a rather foolish endeavor on his part and he was killed as a result. After that, Judah reverted to its sinful ways of idolatry and injustice under Jehoaz and Eliakim or Jehoiakim, as the Babylonians named him. As a result, God sent the evil Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to cleanse and, may I say, to preserve his remnant of followers. But he wanted to cleanse his people, ultimately to cleanse the temple. Believe it or not, he had to destroy the temple to cleanse it. In the Greek language, that's called anathema. And that means that the destruction of a thing causes brings God glory. Even the temple in Jerusalem had become so defiled by idol worship and the sinful priests that conducted their business there that God had to destroy it to preserve His holiness in the land. We can't conceive of that. That that is inconceivable to us, is it not? But He had to do it, and He did it. But in doing so, He also allowed the Babylonians, to come in and capture a faithful remnant. They didn't know about these people being faithful. They just captured everybody that they thought would do them good. Our world is no different today, my friends. If we fall, even if we remain faithful as God's people, many of us will be taken into captivity. We need to pay attention to what was going on there and what's going on here. And we need to make up our mind. And that's the title of this part one of this series, Make Up Your Mind. Results sent Nebuchadnezzar to cleanse and preserve his land and his people. Daniel was probably taken captive during one of the early exiles. And again, that's in the early 6th century before Christ walked the earth in the 580s B.C. He was of noble birth, we read about in Daniel and he was well educated. Let's go ahead and read, uh, get your copy of scripture. We're going to read Daniel chapter 1 and I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the first few verses. In the third year of of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, his Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. These were holy vessels that had been defiled by the evil priest and by the king. Oh, it's inconceivable. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, Babylon, Persia, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. We just, uh, this is an abomination to us, but God had to do it because these were defiled. Then he ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth, young men, in whom there was no defect, who were attractive physically. They were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them, Ashpenaz, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service if they passed the test. Okay, so we asked the question, you're a Jew from Israel, from Judah. How do you turn these people, and, and these were obviously not the only nations that Babylon had conquered. They'd conquered every nation in the known world at the time except Egypt, of course. But They brought all these different nationalities, different cultures into Babylon and said, okay, we're going to make Babylonians out of you. And we say, no, you're not. Okay, let's just say, for instance, if the Chinese should continue their takeover of the world, not far-fetched. So they would say, okay, now that you're here in Beijing, after s- surviving the slave ship journey. Now we're going to teach you all the Chinese culture, the Chinese literature, the Chinese language, the Chinese this, the Chinese, we're going to make Chinamen out of you. And what what are you going to do? You say, well, let me, just just a moment, let me go get my firearms. Well, go ahead and go get them. But I guarantee you the enemy is better armed than you are. Boy, this is a a wonderful message, isn't it? But that's the way. How do you make a Babylonian out of a Jew? Well, there's a four-step process. And it's laid out right here in front of us. The first step is identification. We're not going to be able to go through this whole message on the, in one, one fell swoop here. You're going to have to study it for yourself. The empire of Babylon was so vast that Nebuchadnezzar recognized the need for indigenous leadership within his kingdom. He says, I can't manage all these people and people groups by myself. I think we're starting to see that happen here in America for, for sure, and maybe where you are as well. His plan, Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to take the very best of the best, the creme de la creme, and train them in the ways of the Babylonian culture. First of all, he had to identify likely can- candidates. So the first step in this, uh, in this how to make a Babylonian process is to identify those that you want to become your leaders. So you go and look for the best of the best. And then you start reprogramming them. They took the, the best of the best and then you dissociate them from their previous culture. To remove all hope of return, Nebuchadnezzar captured the king of Judah He Babylonianized him, changed his name even, pillaged and destroyed the temple to where the the Jews had nothing to go back to, and they deported all but the poorest and the weakest of the Jews. He says in Daniel chapter 1, teach them the literature, the language, in other words, the culture of the Chaldeans. You teach them our culture too. Go back to our 21st century metaphor or analogy. Uh, let's say we were overtaken by the Ch- Chinese, which is not that far-fetched. Could be some other culture, we don't know. And we would be taught the, the literature and the language of the Chinese people. Does that seem distasteful to you? Does it? Would you would you resist? Well, as Jeremiah warned them, you, if you resist, you will die. You know that. And you say, better dead than red. Okay, but are you here for you alone? Are you here recognizing that wherever God allows you as a faithful follower of Jesus to be, that's where you're a missionary. It's where you are right now, but maybe you're going to be someplace else next year or the next decade if, if Jesus tarries. So dissociation, remove all hope, of going back home. And that's what he did. Although Aramaic, a, a dialect of Hebrew in a, in a sense, was spoken in Babylon, Chaldean, another Semitic language, was the language of power. Yeah, maybe modern, perhaps modern day Persian or Farsi is related to Chaldean. I'm, I'm sorry, I do not know that piece of information. Well, Chaldean was an an ancient and very complex language, which was the basis for literature, science, and commerce. So it was important if they were going to, quote, make it in Babylon, they needed to learn that language. I say uh, to Brenda's chagrin and sometimes laughter that I speak six languages. I actually speak enough of six languages to get myself in deep trouble in most of them. I can get by in a couple of other languages than English, but uh, I know enough others to where i can I can fake my way through an introduction and then I'm in trouble uh what when I retired from Dow almost twenty years ago, I said one of my life goals was to become fluent in at least one other language. Well, I have not achieved that goal, I'm ashamed to say, it. but I can. When I go to a new country, I try to learn enough of that language of that country to uh, at least exchange greetings and know a little bit about what's going on in conversation. So that's where they were. The Hebrews, the Jews would be required to learn the culture in which they were to operate For the king's benefit, but it was also for the Lord's benefit. See, God was going to turn turn this around and say, okay, you're not going to be totally assimilated. You're going to learn enough of the culture to where you can culturally relate to the people and make the Lord God, Jehovah, known to them. And that's exactly what Daniel and his people did. The situation that they were in presented them with a really serious choice. Are you going to be assimilated? Or are you going to essentially play along and learn as much as you can about this culture so that you can maintain your personal spiritual integrity? And that's where we are, my friends. Are we going to be so patriotically American and English-speaking that we refuse to learn enough about another culture to where we we can show them the true God? That's what his... Program is all about. Okay, the third step. Okay, we we have identification, identify those uh, that uh, you want to lead in your in your kingdom, uh, Dissociation, make it make it very difficult, if not outright impossible, for them to go home. And then the third step is assimilation, assimilation, assimilate them into the culture, and hopefully they'll be. No way to tell that they're actually not a Babylonian by birth. Well, that's not going to happen, okay? When I go to Africa, it is pretty obvious that I'm not an African. I may speak uh, a few words of Swahili or Sangha or whatever other language, Bimba. I may be able to speak a few words of that, but it's pretty obvious I'm not an African, okay? Now, if I lived there long enough, I could speak enough of the language, and I already have some African clothes. I could wear clothes to wear. okay, I could, I could rather resemble culturally them, but I'm not them. Assimilation. Okay, this was a very well organized and proven program of assimilation. Okay, in this, cu- it ha- it worked in every nation that Babylon had conquered. It was very successful in this culture. To name something, okay, in that Semitic or or Eastern culture, to name something was to establish dominion over it. All right, if I give you a name, that means I have dominion over you. I have power over you, but I also have responsibility for you. And you might say, well, what's in the name? Okay, if you look at Daniel and his three friends, can you name his three friends? Can you name them? I could almost bet you money if I were a gambling person, which I am not that you would say, yeah, I can, I can name them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you realize, my, my friends, those are their Babylonian names? Do you know their Hebrew names? Azariah, Meshel, Hananiah. Do you know their names? But see, what we know even today is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are idol and false God, Babylonian God-related names. So you assimilate them by get you give them another name. You establish that I have the even even Daniel was given another name, Belshazzar. Okay, but we usually don't know his other name, do we? Uh, we don't know his other name. We don't recognize Belshazzar. We we still know him by his God-given name, Daniel. God is my judge. Well, the process of assimilation works like this, and we're going to have to—we're going to have to close because we've run to our thirty-minute uh, 30 limit. We're halfway through this, but we're going to press on. All right, the process of assimilation goes like this: you change the way you think, you give them a, by giving them a Chaldean education. You change your identity and your loyalty by changing your name. Nobody ever calls you by your name again. How are we identified as Jesus followers through the ordinance of baptism? It's a it's an ordinance of identification. We identify with the person, the message. And the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also symbolizes that we died with Him, we were buried with Him, and we were raised again with Him. We live a new life in Him. That's that's all through Romans chapter six verses one through four. We see it also in Isaiah chapter sixty-two. And then you change your lifestyle by changing your diet. You begin to eat the food you like. Chinese food. A lot of you already do well. Do we need to continue there? Maybe it won't be the Chinese. Okay, my friends. My wife, Brenda, was listening to a podcast and talking about the... the Old in the New Testament, that 400-year span, in the, in the years of the Maccabees. And, but there's another conqueror, a Grecian conqueror named Alexander the Great. And he had four objectives for his kingdom. Education, health care, entertainment, and sports. Okay, He wanted to make sure that wherever he conquered his entire kingdom, there would be education. He would teach them how to think. Teach them what his version of truth was. He would... Provide health care. If you get sick, come to me. Is this ringing a bell? Entertainment. He want to keep them happy. When they get bored or upset, he'd provide entertainment. Now, a lot of that entertainment we wouldn't consider entertainment. And then sports. What is sports? Sports is simulated warfare, semi-civilized warfare. That's not, that's what sports is. You have competitors coming together. And they have to obey a certain set of rules. It's still warfare, but it's it's almost civilized. Okay, so teach them how to think. Take care of them when they get sick. Entertainment. What does entertainment do? What do you call that today? Muse means to think. Amusement. You don't think. That doesn't. Does that not sound like our culture today? Have we not been assimilated? Oh, my friends, how do we get here in Babylon? By going the way of Babylon. By becoming 21st century Babylonian. God forgive us and help us to to thrive in this kingdom, being faithful to Him. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask that You just take these truths and burn them into our psychics, into our very soul. Oh, Father God, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lead us in Your righteous paths for Your name's sake. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen and amen. We'll see you next week for part two.